The book of Colossians has told us that Christ has given us new life and that we're to live that life in our households and in our church and our world. And so as we come to a short passage this morning, we're given instructions as to how to get this gospel or this life or this mystery of Christ outside of us. In these verses of Colossians 4, we find that we can promote the gospel through our prayers, our lives, and our words. And this passage talks about two spiritual disciplines that I think Christians probably have the most guilt about, uh, and that is prayer and witnessing. But I want you to know it's not my intention this morning to cause guilt or to make you feel guilty. My purpose this morning is to encourage you. And what is encouraging is that this reminder that this life that we have, this gift that we've been given, it's about Christ. It's not about us. It's about His life in us. And encouraging each other to get that life out in the open where it can spread to others. And so it's about Him. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So there's a lot packed into just those few verses there. But often as you and I think about sharing the gospel, we can get a little bit overwhelmed with that idea and think, "What, what can I do? I mean, just little old me. But as we read these verses here, we find there's, there's quite a few things that we can do to get the gospel out, either through our prayers or our lives and our words. And so just want to briefly talk about those three areas as we see it in the text this morning. First of all, the passage starts with prayer. How can I pray to get the gospel out? Uh, the first heading there is, how can I pray? How can I pray? And first of all, pray persistently. Pray persistently. And we see that in verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. And so Paul is talking here about an unrelenting type of prayer, uh, which can be very difficult. And next week in verse 12, we'll see that Paul compares it to wrestling. And he says, it's all, I'm all, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. Um, but we see the importance of persistent prayer here, but also in other scriptures. Uh, Acts 1.14 says, they all join together constantly in prayer. Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then in Romans 12.12, for a final example, be faithful in prayer. So we know the instruction is there. Um, David Garland writes, If Christians prayed with the same zeal that some people manifest to keep themselves physically fit throughout their lives, we might see different results in the life and the witness of their church. S.D. Gordon writes, 
The greatest thing that anyone can do for God and man is pray. It's not the only thing, but it's the chief thing. The great people of earth, he says, are the people who pray. And I don't mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer, but I mean those people who actually take time to pray. An old hymn says, And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. So this is something that probably no one else sees, but it's something that it's that happens on a daily basis uh, behind the scenes. How do we pray? Well, first of all, I said we pray persistently. And then secondly, from this passage, pray alertly. That comes from verse 2, which says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. And the New American Standard reads, Keeping alert. And so Paul is probably talking about prayer as a weapon against temptation. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion looking for someone to devour. And if you think about Peter, who's writing this, he understands this very well because we know there were times in his life that he did not pray alertly. For example, Matthew 26, verse 40 and 41 in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, Then he, referring to Jesus, returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And remember, earlier that night, Peter had said, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. He was confident. He was overconfident. He considered himself to be the most faithful follower of Jesus. But Jesus told him, I tell you the truth, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So we can think that we're strong. We may think that we don't need to pray, perhaps, but we're reminded by Scripture that we need prayer and that uh, Peter needed to pray and Jesus even needed to pray. Um, Many Christian leaders we see fall into sin publicly and, and, and we may look at them and say, well, that could never happen to me. But 1 Corinthians 10.12 warns us, saying, If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Pray persistently. Pray alertly. And then thirdly, pray for opportunities. Verse 3, Paul says, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray for opportunities, and then be ready for God to answer in some unexpected ways. Um, And I think Paul is a great example of this. Um, If you think about Paul being in prison, what do you think he would ask people to pray for? Let me put it this way. If you were in prison and you were writing to your friends, what would you ask them to pray for? Yeah, I pray for release. Pray that God would get me out of prison. But we don't see that in Paul's letters. In fact, here Paul requests that, that 
open doors or opportunities would open up in this to share the gospel. And then later we see that God did indeed open up doors through this seemingly terrible circumstance. Listen to Philippians 1.14, written by Paul in prison. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the words of God more courageously and fearlessly. And so prison, this place that we would think, this is not God's plan, this is terrible, this is horrible, became an open door, an opportunity for Paul to share the gospel. And if we think about that a little bit further, while he was in prison, he was able to write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. What an opportunity, and how that's been used through the centuries as well. So we should pray that God would give us and others opportunities to share the gospel and then be ready and alert to the unexpected ways that that may happen. And sure, we need to take advantage of our opportunities, but but pray for them, look for them. So, how can you pray to promote the gospel? Well, first, persistently, alertly, pray for opportunities, and then finally on this question, pray for clarity. Verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And I think boldness is needed for clarity. Um, that when we're actually talking about the gospel, there's always a temptation to maybe um, soften it up or take out the hard parts, such as how badly we need the gospel, how badly we need God, how sinful we are, how in desperate utter desperation we are and in need of the gospel. But share the gospel clearly uh, and the whole gospel. Let God people know that or let people know that God created them and that he created the world. Let him know that sin entered into the world and because of that the world has become broken and we're sinful people in it. And and maybe you want to use something like the Romans road. Um, If you haven't heard of the Romans road it's a uh, series of verses taken from Romans that just walks people through the entire gospel. Romans 3.23 says every person is a sinner. Romans 6.23 tells us God's penalty for sin is a spiritual death. Romans 5.8 says that in his great love, God has made provision for the salvation of all. And Romans 10.9 and 10 tells us each person must put his or her trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so pray like Paul that God would help you to share this good news clearly. We may think uh, as one person there's little we can do. As Dean was talking about the zillion billion people in in, in the world. What can we do? But in these few verses there's lots of things. Lots of ways that we can promote the gospel. And anyone can pray. Right? Anyone can pray. Pray. Okay, so how can, how can we live our lives secondly so that the gospel comes out? So the second question in your notes there is, how can I live? We have some instructions here as well. First of all, live wisely. Live wisely. Verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Outsiders being people who don't know the Lord Jesus. 
Be, be wise in the way you live. Don't give credibility to some of the world's stereotypes about Christians. And there are all kinds of strange stereotypes out there. Uh, today there are some people claiming that evangelical Christianity is as dangerous as radical Islam. Don't know why you would say that. Don't know why you would think that. But my hope is that as we rub shoulders with other people, as we have relationships with other people, they come to see and put those stereotypes aside. 1 Peter 2.12, I think, puts it better. It says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And the Greek word translated see there refers to a careful watching over a period of time. That is, as outsiders, people who don't know Jesus, as they observe our lives over time, they see something different. And it leads them to ask questions. It leads them to the glory of God. Charles Chu tells the following story. He says, A few years ago, I had a chance to become a hero, but it turned out to be an embarrassing moment. I was in China on a tour group, and our tour bus was on the way to a scenic spot with another tour bus in front of us, and it was snowing, and so the road was muddy. Well, suddenly the bus ahead of us went off the road, and it tipped over in a rice field. I quickly jumped off my tour bus. I ran to the overturned bus, and I jumped on top. And I could see that windows were shattered, he said, and people inside were obviously hurt. And the emergency door was facing upwards, so I grabbed the handle of the emergency door, and I pulled. But the door did not open, and I kept pulling hard, but it wouldn't budge. Well, by this time, he says, others had come and were pulling people out through the windows, and so... I gave up on the door, and I joined them in doing that. But after I moved away from the door, another man went over to the door, and he turned the door handle, and the door opened easily. I suddenly realized why the door did not open for me. I had been standing on the door as I tried to open it. And so with good intentions to save lives, he says, I had become the biggest obstacle to blocking the door of rescue. Now, I tell that story because I hope that we will not be the biggest obstacle for people to come to Christ. That that as we try to get the gospel out, our lives are not sending contrary messages that keep that message from being received. Sometimes we get in the way of the gospel being accepted. So don't give people an excuse to reject the gospel. Live, Live it out in your lives. Um, Pray that God would give us open doors and and that we would not shut those doors by our own behavior. So live wisely. Secondly, from this passage, and I think this might be the most important thing I say this morning, so don't miss this point. Live with a sense of urgency. Verse 5 says, make the most of every opportunity. King James here says, redeeming the time. In other words, buy up the time, knowing that your time is short, and use it to the fullest. My friends, I'm writing to let you know that whether you like it or not, you're in a war zone. There's an enemy seeking to destroy you, and his allies are always coming after you. Believe me when I say the battle requires everything you got. 
mental fortitude, physical prowess, and above all else, a prayerful dependence on the King who has faithfully given you everything you need for the spiritual power, knowledge, and understanding it will take for you to prevail. I beg you to continually read His Word. His strategy is perfect. And even though the war has already been won, don't let that knock you off guard and lead you into complacency. There is an urgency to all of this, and we have a commandment to follow. Now, and this is very important, when you're out there, remember you're not fighting against flesh and blood, so don't get sidetracked or pulled into useless sparring matches. Stay the course. Since we fight differently than others, we'll be treated differently. Keep your eyes and ears open because we're being fired on from all directions. Be on the lookout, especially for spiritual and mental attacks. The enemy's ammunition is deceit, doubt, and fear, and it's launched strategically in the things we see, hear, and read. He is a wicked influencer, and he moves people to hurl vicious attacks on us, and he'll do everything he can to destroy the foundation of our faith and blind us so we don't help others. Stay bold. Stay true. Remain sober-minded. Hold closely the authentic word so you can spot the counterfeit immediately and demolish it. Don't fall for age-old tricks or sleight-of-hand misdirection. It's all fake and empty. Stand firm on the King's foundation. Go the distance. Fight the good fight. I know it's not easy, but now is not the time to run and hide. It's time to proclaim the truth and live by it. It's time to be ready and willing to boldly run forward with the gospel of peace as your inspiration. In one hand, you hold the impenetrable shield of faith, and in the other, the sword. Strike down arguments, ideas, and causes against the king. Be wise and make the most of every opportunity. And lastly, my friends, be prepared to answer people who genuinely want to know where your hope comes from in the midst of all this. They're in this war too, but they don't have the hope you do. Try to remember what that was like. Help them. Teach them the way. I wish I could have written about something entirely different. In fact, that's what I started out to do. But instead, my friends, I was compelled to urge you all So we are in a spiritual battle, uh, but it's not us versus them. It's not against people. It's a it's a it's a battle in the spiritual realms, a battle to for Christ to be revealed, a battle for people to see Him, to see His truth, and we're fighting that battle uh, for Him and with Him. It's His power that enables us to contend. So we've talked about praying. We've talked about living to get the gospel out. Finally, what about speaking? How can I speak? In verse 6, we see, speak graciously. Speak graciously. Verse 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So to be full of grace basically means to be pleasant. Before we can make disciples, we need to make friends. We need to build relationships. And remember that we are witnesses. We're not judges or attorneys, prosecuting attorneys or anything like that. We're witnesses. Concerning Jesus, Luke 4.22 says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Ephesians 4.15 mentions, Speaking the truth in love. So again, there's extremes here. Uh, on the other hand, we, we may go to the opposite extreme of trying to be so gracious that we never actually share the gospel with people, and we don't want to do that. We may be 
hypersensitive about offending non-Christians, and we certainly don't want to offend them, but we don't want to be so uh, bashful or afraid that we never actually speak the truth in love. But we want to be people who are gracious. We want to be people who are inviting. Uh, We want to show compassion and love. Um, But we can't do that if we choose to keep silent and never actually share the truth of Christ with those who desperately need to hear it. So speak graciously. And then finally, speak intelligently. Verse 6 again. So that you may know how to answer everyone. So we may not be a person who has all the answers, but it's in our best interest and in others' best interest if we prepare our minds and hearts with answers. Um, Because unbelievers have some common questions that you'll hear if you talk to them, um, such as, how can a loving God allow evil and suffering to exist? How can a loving God torture people in hell? Isn't it offensive to claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven? How can you be sure uh, that you can trust in the Bible? I mean, these are very common questions among unbelievers. And uh, we've been talking about a number of those in the breakout sessions after church uh, on Sundays. And we've been learning that there are well-thought answers to those questions if people authentically have them. But do we care enough about unbelievers to build relationship with them and and? offer these answers to them. Howard Hendricks didn't think so. He once said, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of your slander. You see the partnership between how you live and how you speak. I think a good example would be Philip in Acts chapter 8 when the Ethiopian eunuch asked him about the passage of Isaiah 53 and what it meant. Philip was ready. He was ready. Paul Little in his book, How to Give Away Your Faith, defines witnessing as that deep-seated conviction that the greatest favor I can do for others is introduce them to Jesus Christ. And so witnessing, actually speaking words, is the most direct way to get the gospel to people. But whether you feel accomplished as a person who shares their faith or not, I hope that this passage this morning has encouraged you that the gospel goes out and is promoted in a number of ways. It goes out in our prayers, it goes out in our lives, and it goes out in the words that we speak.